Well, the past six weeks, we've been on a journey um, discovering how God often is not who we think he is. We learned about the story of the 75-year-old Abraham and how God came to him, and in their first conversation, he told Abraham to pack his bags and move to a foreign country. That's kind of strange. Then God went on to tell this 75-year-old man that he would have a son, and from him, all of humanity would be blessed. That's even stranger. We've learned of stories of God physically wrestling with a man named Jacob and dislocating his hip. That's pretty odd. We've heard of stories of um, Saul, or as we know him, the Apostle Paul, one of the most religious men of his time, but when he encountered Jesus for the first time, his immediate response was, who are you, Lord? He had no idea um, who this God was that he had claimed to be serving. Last week, Bob talked about Gideon, and we kind of learned through his story that God often chooses the least likely people when they least expect it. So if you ever thought that God was predictable or that God was boring or you ever thought you had a pretty good grasp on who God is, I hope the past few weeks have been humbling, um, eye-opening, and encouraging. Rather than being frustrated that God doesn't operate how we would often like him to, I hope these stories have evoked a sense of wonder and curiosity within you, that our God is simply greater than we are, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. God truly is stranger. And so today we're going to continue. Hey, Leslie, what's up, man? So today we're going to continue the story of just discovering how God is stranger. We're going to look at the life of a woman that I would guess a good chunk of us aren't very familiar with. Um, We're going to be looking at the life of Naomi. Raise your hand if you could quote some facts about Naomi from the Bible. Eight. Okay, not very many. When I first saw the document on Bob's desk the other day that it said, hey, October 20th, Naomi, I was like, first thing, the only thing I could think about was, hey, that's my grandma's name. And that's it. I just drew a complete blank. I've I've read about her, but nothing was coming to mind. So I knew I had some work cut out for me this week so that I wouldn't stand up here and make a complete fool of myself. Um, So I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Naomi before we dive into her story. Her entire story can be found in the book of Ruth. um, But first, some background on her life. Um, Naomi was from the town of Bethlehem in Israel. You've probably heard of it. She was married, and she had two sons. Um, A famine struck their homeland, and they were forced to flee. They were forced to leave um, in order to find food to survive. So Naomi and her family are basically refugees, uh, fleeing to the region of Moab um, and living there. And we're told that Naomi's uh, husband dies, and both of her sons go on to marry Moabite women. And after about 10 years, and neither of them being able to conceive children, both of her sons dies, uh, die. So she's left with no husband, no children, and no grandchildren. Um, all that she has left are her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. So it's safe to say that Naomi's life has been a little rough. Um, she's been dealt some bad cards, lots of grieving, lots of suffering. She's a single refugee woman that's basically lost everything. And that is exactly where we're going to be picking up in her story this morning. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 239. 
Ruth chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 6. We're going to read a decent little chunk here, just so you really understand the whole story. Ruth 1, starting in verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, uh, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Uh, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. All right, folks, I want you to think back on a time in your life, the season, the time in you, your life where you were most vulnerable. Think about that. When would that be? When you were most vulnerable? A time where you were just extremely fragile, where your well-being depended on the goodness of others? A time where if God or someone else didn't show up for you, you're not sure that you would have survived physically, emotionally, or spiritually? That's exactly where Naomi finds herself at this point in her life. She had lost her husband and both of her children. She was a refugee, a stranger living in a strange land, and she was about to make a 50-mile journey back home. 50 miles doesn't sound very far for us, right, in our nice cars, but when you're traveling by foot, that's a long journey. It's about a 7- to 10-day journey at that time and in that place. You can imagine how dangerous it'd be for women making that journey alone without 
um, a male companion being able to protect them. She could have been easily kidnapped or um, abused and just taken advantage of by people, um, you know, who wanted to take advantage of her vulnerable state. And in the midst of Naomi's life kind of playing out like a dumpster fire, if you will, you would think that this would be a really good time for God to show up, right? I mean, she's at rock bottom. She's lost everything. She's essentially the female version of Job from the Old Testament. Everything comes crashing down. It couldn't get much worse. It'd be really great, very good timing for God to show up in a miraculous way, but he doesn't. He's completely silent. Why? Because God is stranger. There's no other explanation. And if we were to read the rest of the whole book of Ruth, God is seemingly nowhere to be found in the entire book. He doesn't seem to show up anywhere. There's no burning bush. There's no voice from heaven. There's no vision, um, no loud noise, no revelations, no dreams, nothing. God seems absent. And it's kind of strange, but as I was thinking about it, maybe it's not as strange as we think it is, because I think we can relate a lot to Naomi, right? How many times do we cry out to God, help me, right? Help my son, my daughter, who is just in this mess, right? They can't kick this addiction or whatever this thing is. God, this stuff at work is horrible. I need you to show up, right? God, my marriage is falling apart. Show up, fix it, do something. I need you. And I think we so often equate God showing up with circumstantial relief that if he shows up any other way, we miss it. Or we fail or unwilling to acknowledge it because it didn't take the form that we'd hoped. Unless our pain is alleviated, we can be so tempted to believe that he's forsaken us. And that is a lie. It is precisely in these moments where we're at the bottom, where Christ looks at us and says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in this time of weakness. God is always working behind the scenes, operating in his time, in his manner, according to his perfect plan. Does he really need to show up when he's already at work? Does he really need to show up when he's already at work? He doesn't owe any of us proof of his presence or proof of his existence. He's already done far more for us, right, than we could ever deserve. And if you were here last week, like Pastor Bob said, his ways are not ours, and time does not mean the same thing to him as it does to us. And at some level, we either have to trust his intentions or we don't. And as I look back on different seasons of my life, it's typically the ones that were most painful that caused growth and transformation in my heart. It was the times that were most painful. Nobody says this. Man, I learned so much binging on Netflix. Right? Netflix is cool. I don't have anything against it. But nobody says, man, that really developed my character. Man, that year at work where everything was just great, I didn't really have struggle or difficulties. I grew so much, man. My character and perseverance were just really deepened. Nobody says that, right? Because that's not how life works. We know that, right? 
We try so hard to avoid the pain, but that's what God uses to change us. It doesn't work that way. God often takes the thing that causes the most suffering in our life to transform us from the inside out. And I would go as far as to say that he takes, oftentimes he takes that form of suffering or whatever it was, and he turns that into your ministry. He turns that in to become a part of your ministry. So the way this has looked in my life, a lot of you know I've had a lot of mental battles with my thoughts. You guys will be hearing more about that in the near future. Um, and because of my mental battles, people with struggles that struggle with their thoughts, they just tend to seek me out. They tend to seek me out for help and encouragement. And while going through dark times that just paralyzed me with fear and anxiety, I can now look back on those times and thank God that I went through them because I'm able to offer hope to people who are sitting in those same shoes that I've walked many times. I'm able, because I've went through that hell, I'm able to connect emotionally with the young man who's so paralyzed by his thoughts he can't even get off his couch, right? I would never have been able to do that had I not suffered. Praise God, thank him for our suffering. All right, so back to the story. So after urging both of her daughter-in-laws to stay home in Moab and to find new husbands, um, Naomi soon realizes that Ruth is not going to leave her, right? She's going to stick by her. And Ruth says to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Man, that's incredible. That's a type of commitment and faithfulness that is almost kind of foreign, right, to a lot of us in our relationships. And while I'm sure it gave Naomi comfort and joy to have Ruth by her side, she still didn't replace the fact that Naomi lost her husband, and both her sons had died too, okay? Ruth couldn't change that reality from her. Naomi went on to, she even wanted to change her name to Mara, which means bitter. She said God made her life bitter. God had afflicted pain and misfortune upon her. She saw no sign of hope or redemption. She felt hopeless, and God seems completely absent. And this is when a very interesting sequence of events start to take place. So open your Bibles again if you close them to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Chapter 2, 1 through 3. It said, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So Naomi and Ruth just so happened to arrive in Bethlehem when the barley harvest was beginning, and Ruth just happened to be gleaning in a field that just so happened to belong to a family member of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. Do you think these are just a random series of events? No. No. 
Or could God perhaps be working behind the scenes, orchestrating some people, orchestrating some events in the lives of Ruth and Naomi to bless and protect them? God seems to be arriving on the scene, but he's doing so in such subtle ways that he's very easy to miss if we're not looking closely. Um, As Krish Kandaya wrote in his book, God a Stranger, he said, God's interventions may be inconspicuous, but these coincidences suggest that maybe he is not so very far away after all. Then he had something really cool to say. I love this for people that read the book of Ruth and just wonder, where is God? Why is there no speaking or visions or anything? He says, perhaps asking where is God while looking at the book of Ruth is like a tourist wandering around Oxford looking for the university. Where is it? Well, it is both nowhere and everywhere because the Oxford colleges are spread out across the city. There is no single location for the university. Yet at the same time, the university and God is all around you. I thought that was beautiful. Perhaps in our fast, efficiency-obsessed culture, we so often miss God moving among us because he didn't respond immediately or because he didn't save us from troubling circumstances. And I think we too often forget that The spiritual world is far more real than this physical world that we live in. We don't think about that a whole lot or talk about it. There are spiritual forces at work constantly that we never see, but God does. And he goes to war on our behalf with his army of angels fighting for our good every moment of every day. We do not see his divine hand putting people and situations in front of us to kind of redirect maybe Um, just change, you know, the uh, trajectory of our lives. And it's often only with patience and trust that we can look back on difficult seasons and say, man, he was with me. It just took a lot different shape. It looked a lot different than what I thought it would look like. So a lot of us have to live in a state of spiritual uncertainty That's a pretty common thing for us to experience. You know, we believe God's good. We believe he's with us and for us. But sometimes it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't feel that way. So we must come to a place where we have to surrender that. He's simply far more greater than we are. And he is not limited as our Heavenly Father. He's not limited by time or power in the ways that we are. So as Ruth continues to work in this field that belongs to a man named Boaz. Um, Boaz turns out to be a complete godsend. Not only is he a relative of Naomi's late husband, but the generosity he extends to Ruth the stranger blesses Ruth and Naomi. Because of the kindness of Boaz, both of them are able to eat food from his crops. And as the story unfolds, we don't have the time to read it, But Naomi's joy, you start to see, is restored a little bit as time goes on, um, as she sees the goodness of God being displayed in her life through Boaz. It's as if her eyes are opened a little bit to understanding that maybe God hasn't completely forsaken her like she was starting to believe. And as the story continues, Boaz actually ends up taking Ruth to be his wife. And this is incredible on multiple levels. Not only does Ruth gain a husband to care for and protect her, 
But Naomi gains a son through her daughter-in-law. So turn to chapter 4 with me. This will be the last passage we look at. Ruth 4, 14 through 17. This is good. Amen. It says, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see that through all the pain and heartache, God was at work, (laughs) redeeming her story, redeeming her life. He not only gave her the most loving daughter-in-law, anyone could ever ask for. He not only gave her um, the kindness of this man named Boaz, who turned out to be a relative, but she was also able to receive a son. And it says that this son brought praise to God. And he wasn't just any baby boy, right? This, This boy was going to grow up to become the grandfather of King David. So from Naomi's daughter in law's offspring would come Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That is insane, okay? Naomi was a nobody. Literally like the least significant person on the earth, okay? Not only does she get to rejoice in having a son, but she gets to be remembered throughout human history as being included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ as part of her family. And the only explanation for all of this is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And guys, a major point I want to drive home today is this. There's no need for God to show up in our lives when he's been present all along. There's no need for him to show up when he's been present all along. Just because he might seem out of sight, it doesn't mean that you're off his mind. He's always pursuing us, thinking about us, and drawing us to his heart. He is present everywhere and in all things. Check out some of these verses that show this truth. It's kind of a lot here, small font. It says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Uh, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is Jesus here. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will guide you into all truth. Guys, I have a, I have a question for you. Think back on a time in your life where God seemed like a stranger. Some of you might be like, right now, right? So maybe this question doesn't relate to you. 
Think about a time in your life where God seemed like a complete stranger. He seemed nowhere to be found. But as time went on, you were able to look back and see how he was indeed present. Maybe he put some people in your path, changed some things around to redirect the course of your life. And now you can look back and thank him for the growth that you experienced through that. So here's my question. If you've been through that, which I would imagine almost all of us have, what did the realization of his presence stir in your heart? What took place inside of you as you eventually discovered that God was indeed with you? What fresh perspective or heart change did you walk away with from that time in your life where he felt completely distant, but you gained some perspective as time went on that he was with you? What did that do inside of you? Who would be willing to share? Kind of a deep question, I know. Yes. What's that? Okay. Yeah, developed compassion. Yeah, suffering of others. Was it you? Yeah, that's awesome. Try to recap that. Goodness, he said the yeah. There's a kind of a long season where he felt dead inside, but God didn't let him stray too far, right? Now he can look back and thank God for that. Good. Anyone else? One more person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. He's saying, yeah, going through times like that, now he's able to look back and just rather than, you know, you can get discouraged that God's not showing up in the way that you want, he can look back and say, all right, you know, what am I missing, God? Give me the eyes to see how you're moving. I know you're present. It's just not might be taking the form that I hoped it would be. Yeah, that's good. Guys, whether we are healthy or sick, whether we get a baby we prayed for or we're never able to conceive, whether we get the job that we wanted or we don't, whether we get the bad medical report, whether our relationships are thriving or they're completely fractured, God is present. Just because he doesn't audibly speak to us or tangibly fix our problems, it doesn't mean that he's not with us. His spirit resides inside of us. He's literally with us every waking moment of every day. He can't get more close. He can't get any closer to us. But when we equate God showing up with solely fixing our circumstances, 
then of course we're going to feel like he's forsaken us. Of course we're going to believe that. But if we're willing to live and press into the discomfort of uncertainty, of how our lives are going to play out, there is so much beauty and wonder to experience and to be gained in a God that's for us and with us, even though he might feel like a stranger. And our job is to live with open eyes and open hearts to see how he's moving in us. Kind of like Josh was saying, man, what do you want to speak to me? What am I missing? Are we living with open hearts like that? We need to be prepared for how God wants to use us, how he wants to speak to us. When we least expect it or feel least capable is usually when he's going to call us to do something, right? Are you attentive to how God is present in all things? Is the posture of your heart one that is open and prepared and ready for God to speak whatever he might have to say? And guys, here in a minute, we have the opportunity to come to the communion table. We're going to give you some, you know, some silence. Come forward, take a piece of bread, and dip it in the juice. But before we do that, we're going to be still. We have an opportunity to be still and be reminded that right now, God is here. Okay? Regardless of what you're going through, if life is great or if it's awful, God is here. He is present. He's here in this moment, and he wants to speak to you. Will you listen? Will the posture of your heart be one that says, here I am. My arms are open, God. Speak. I will listen. Tell me what you want. Show me what you want me to do. Will you be faithful to God as Ruth was to Naomi when she declared, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay? Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. God, I thank you for this story, this beautiful story of a woman that suffered immensely. God, but she was able to realize that you were with her through it all, even though it took a completely different shape than what she had hoped. God, I thank you for those verses that we looked at that show that you are present constantly with us, God. You are the warrior that fights for us. You live inside of us, God. You are constantly pursuing us and drawing us to your heart. You cannot be any closer to us, God. Help us to understand that. God, we apologize. Forgive us for thinking that you owe us proof of your existence or presence somehow, God. You don't owe us anything. God, help us to humble ourselves to acknowledge that and just to accept, God, that you are so much greater and superior than we could ever possibly be or fathom to be, God. I pray as we sit in this silence, God, Comfort our hearts and encourage us as we sit here and remember and know that you are with us, Lord.